victorious men and women of God. Let's stand up and let's come into his presence. Lord, we love you so much, Jesus. We worship you with all our hearts, God. We love you so much, Lord. God, there are parts of the world right now that are hurting and need your comfort, God. So we pray, God, that you would wrap your arms around them, that you would heal them, that you would give them the comfort that they need, that members of our body that are sick right now, that your healing power and virtue would flow through them, God. And we just thank you, Lord. You are good. We put all our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, manna on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know everything I need you've got. There's honey in the rock. Praying for a miracle, thirsty for the living way. Only you can satisfy Sweetness at the mercy seat Now I've tasted It's not hard to see Only you can satisfy There's honey in the rock There's honey in the rock There's honey in the rock Spirit is bounty in the wilderness. You will always satisfy us. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, manna on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know everything I need you've got. There's honey in the Power in the blood, healing in your hands. Started flowing when you said it is done. Everything you did, did I keep looking, I keep finding. You keep giving, you keep providing. I have all that I need. You are all that I need. I keep praying.
trust in you, Jesus. Oh, how sweet, how sweet it is to trust in you, Jesus. Oh, how sweet, how sweet it is to trust in you, Jesus. Oh, how sweet it is to trust in you, Jesus. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Fear, bow, he 
between that this song and the last song that we do in this in this uh, worship time we have offering where there's all the different ways you can do it you can do it online you can do it in the buckets right here and um, we just encourage you to take that opportunity you can go and take the advantage of this opportunity to try out God's promises that he says see if You won't open up, if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you when you give. And so I just encourage you to take advantage of that right now. Um, let Let me pray for our offering. God, we just offer these gifts to you for you to use here in this central Oklahoma area for the work of your kingdom, um, for the ability to help people with a utility bill, to build a house for someone, 
to bless people every month in the in the food pantry and all the all the different opportunities that you give us to give into it through this offering and so father i ask your blessing on it and and on the giver and on the one who will receive eventually in jesus name amen
this morning because my voice wouldn't be able to do it now because I've blown it all out in worship. Um, we sang that song, Jesus, You Change Everything. Um, on, sun, on Wednesdays, we're singing a song called Everything is Changing Now. And it, man, if you need a change, and I mean anybody, any age, if you need a change in your life right now, that's how it comes. Jesus has the ability to change whatever your circumstances are. Your circumstances don't define who you are. What God says you are is what you are. And so I just encourage you to, to lean into that, that we are what God says we are. And that our, our circumstance is what God says it is. We're going to hear from Pastor Zach this morning um, by video. Uh, and what the, God's kingdom is saying about who you are impacts your circumstances and everything else. Everything is changing now. He changes everything. 
So I want to, I just want to pray for you right quickly with that regard. Father, I thank you for For you being dependable and trustworthy, that when we put our trust in you, that chains do fall and fear bows. The, the fear that we have in our, in our hearts and our minds and over what's going on in our lives, all of that falls away. The chains fall away when we recognize where, where change comes from. It doesn't come from better psychology or sociology or anything else. It comes from yielding our lives to you and expecting your kingdom to operate in this world and doing everything that we can in our part to surrender to that. And so we just recognize that this morning. Pray that you'll show us ways to live more into that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all be seated. One thing that's changed in this past week um, we were six, a, a, a handful of us here were 1,600 miles away from here last Sunday. Um, and um, one of the things that changed was a, a couple here is now a, a couple, different couple. The Morgans, where, where are they? There they are back there. Y'all aren't sitting in your right place. I want to I tell you, they got married last Saturday a week ago. And I, I said, well, okay, we'll see y'all in a couple of weeks, because I didn't know what was going to be. We'll be there next Sunday. (laughs) And so I'm excited, and y'all congratulate them. And um, I want to uh, say one more thing before Pam comes and uh, shares the announcements. One, Dale Jackson just uh, texted me a few moments ago and said he's still fighting off this infection. He's undergoing a treatment right now for... um, some condition and he uh it's messed up his immune system and so he got uh i think one of his grandkids gave him strep and he's fought that for over a week now and so he said they're not going to have their life group today just to be safe and make sure that nobody gets sick so okay uh i that's all i have pam it's all you you ready to go just wanted to tell y'all about um, our fifth Sunday, Super Sunday, at the end of this month. Um, speaking of Dale and Sandy, it's going to be out at their at the Rusty Mallard. Used to be the Duck Lodge. I think everybody knows where it is. If you don't, just ask. We can tell you. Um, it's going to be. There'll be Family Sunday, so kids will be in here except for nursery. Um, it's going to be a potluck, so bring. There's not a sign up for a meal, so just bring whatever you want to bring. Your favorite fall foods, and um, we're going to have a fun day. We're coupling it with our annual uh, fall festival, and so we will have um, games, and there'll be a hayride and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, 1 o'clock. It'll be after church, but you'll have time to run home, change clothes, grab your food, bring it with you. 1 o'clock at the Rusty Mallard on the 29th of October. Oh, I want to say one more thing. (laughs) Just one. Okay, my life group starts in the morning. If you didn't sign up but you'd like to come, you're welcome to come. Um, It is at 9 o'clock here 
Um, and if you don't have your book yet, don't worry about it. You can you can pick one up during the week or order it or whatever. But it's 9 o'clock here at the church. All right. I want you to take five and come back, and we're going to have a word. So you can get more coffee, get rid of the coffee you had before, if you know what I mean, or just whatever you need to do. Five minutes. Right? Jeff Briner gave me permission to interrupt this moment. This is not me with a power trip, with a microphone, Steve. He gets worried when I have microphones. Um, Today is the official honoring of uh, National Pastors Celebration Day. I butchered that. I don't know what you call it. This is the day that we honor pastors. We didn't want anyone to think we've forgotten that. Like uh, Steve just mentioned, there's a couple of people out sick. We have something special planned next week. So if you're coming today like, yes, we're going to celebrate the pastors. Yes, we're going to do that next week. So um, please come back next week. But I did want to at least take this moment to say that we have excellent pastors. Excellent, excellent pastors. I've been encouraged by both of these pastors, Steve and Pam. I've been corrected, unfortunately, by both of these pastors. That's my bad, not theirs. Um, And uh, I can tell you, I I just said this to Pam the other day. I was like, you're someone in my life that I want correcting me. And there's not a lot of people that you probably feel safe enough to say that with. But if you will be here enough and dig in enough to this body to get close to them, you'll feel that as well. And I don't think we have that a lot. So um, you guys tell them thank you for what they do today. Um, Honor them. We love you guys both. And uh, now you can go do whatever you do with coffee. Uh, Pastor Gary McNeil at First Baptist, the strong and powerful name of Jesus. I love that. Father, we just bless your name today. We thank you for the open heaven that you've provided for us. That every good and perfect gift, truly, truly, Lord, is coming down from you the Father of lights, in whom there is no change or deviation. You never cause a shifting shadow to fall upon us. We align ourselves to your word. We align ourselves to your way and to your will. We pray in this place today, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth as it is in your heaven. And all the Lord's people said, amen, amen. Amen. We're going to be continuing on this morning with what Pastor Jacob began last week with this discerning and fulfilling God's will for our lives. And my subtitle today is simply that line from the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come Thy will be done. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 12. This has been our central text, and I think it's important for us to read it again. These are one of my favorite little snapshots, little snippets of the scripture. And their beauty really is unmatched as we begin to unpack this through the help of the Holy Spirit and the implications of what these two verses just two verses isn't it amazing the potency of the word of god and how much in even a small amount of words contain this revelatory spiritual body of knowledge and truth and as we begin to just allow our hearts to become more yielded 
to the seat of God's word. It's truly, truly remarkable, the transformative experience that we undergo. Let's look at this. Romans chapter 12, verses one through two. This is in the English Standard Version that I'm gonna read today. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, I appeal to you. You know, if the Apostle Paul is begging you to do something, it's probably pretty important. The King James says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Did you know that worship definitely is, and a part of worship definitely is, standing in the room, even as we were doing moments ago, with hands lifted to God, with our voice proclaiming his goodness and his grace. How many of you really delight in that aspect of worshiping the Lord, of just with your body, just posturing yourself into a place of surrender, symbolically, prophetically representing with your physical body. I would say that in this passage, this Romans 12, one, to present your bodies, I believe one of the ways that we do present our body to the Lord in worship is by the physical engagement that happens. Even in a room like this, in a corporate worship time, we are offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. We are doing things that may not be comfortable to our flesh, I don't know about you, but it's not normative or natural for people just to stand together in a large group and go like this and sing at the top of their lungs. It might be normative and natural for us now because we have practiced this posture and this rhythm in our life, but that in a small way for all of us at some point in time began as a little bit of an uncomfortable situation. For many of us, it still is an uncomfortable situation. That's why we have a posture of worship that looks different. And I'm not here to judge or to determine which one of those postures of worship is better. But I can recall in my life and in my Christian experience, I still remember the very first time I even opened my hands to God in a worship service. Uh, I came out of a church background to where that wasn't something that we did congregationally. There was always one person. They typically were the, they, that was always the, the weird lady uh, at the back of the room that may or may not have snuck a tambourine in her handbag and, and at the back and she would be back there doing all kinds of things. But the majority of the group was very uh, uneasy about that. And you didn't want to be the weird lady so you didn't open your hands to God. But I remember being in a company of people where that just seemed so normative and natural that it invited me into this place to say, whatever that posture is, whatever that positioning of myself before God, that seems to represent on the outside how I feel about God on the inside. And there was something about this picture that I saw in front of me coming into alignment with what I knew was happening on the inside of me. And when I made a decision to just offer my body that way, when I made a decision to just say, you know what, I see what's going on around me and, I, and I'm looking. Now I'm worshiping so much with my eyes closed, I'm not looking around a whole lot. But at that time, being in a new expression of, of Christian worship and looking and taking it all in and seeing that what's on people's faces and the way that they're interacting with the Lord is so real that they are offering themselves to God. I say, well, I feel like that on the inside. So what happens if I try that on 
the outside. And that's, that's a beautiful part of our Christian experience, I think, is things like that, moments like that. Uh, maybe recalling in your mind the very first time that you've knelt uh, in, in prayer. For many people, I've talked to them, they've never knelt in prayer ever before. They've sat in prayer, they've stood in prayer, they've driven. How many of you are like me? You need prayer while you're driving, uh, especially when not so smart people do things in front of you while they're driving and we want to be Christian all the time, not just sometimes. So prayer comes in handy when I'm driving. You can ask my kids about that later off the record. But the thing that I would encourage us all in is that there's this reality that there's aspects of our life like time in a worship service or time in private prayer that definitely is a part of what it means to worship God. But do you know, at the end of the day, all of it ultimately is summed up with what Paul has just described here, that genuine worship of God is a daily presentation of not just a moment in time, but the entirety of our day and ultimately the entirety of our life as a living sacrifice to the Lord. If you wanna get very technical per the scripture, what you do when you raise your hand is not the complete picture of your worship to God. What you do in your prayer closet on bended knee is not the complete picture of your worship to God. It's a part of it, it's a critical piece of it, but Paul says that your genuine worship, your spiritual worship, some translations say your reasonable service is to offer your body, your physical self as a living sacrifice to God. If we want to get technical with what worship is, and I think that Paul is, is strategic in talking about worship and a life of surrendered, yielded service to God before he talks about God's will and being able to test and discern what God's will is for your life because ultimately here's the reality is that people have talked to me pastorally time and time again about pastor I just want to know what God wants for me I want to know what God's will is for my life I've been praying and seeking God in this particular direction and I would propose to you today that the only way that you can finally arrive at God's will is whenever you have allowed your will to come into sacrificial alignment to him through worship. Through the surrendering of self and the lifting up and exalting of his name. And here's the beautiful reality. The beautiful reality is that, as we continue on, it says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. You know, as pastors, we genuinely like to preach the fire out of Romans chapter 12, verse two. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Did you notice that 12, two comes after 12, one? And what I've discovered with Christians is that they want the transformed mind, but they don't want the living sacrifice. And you can't get to the transformed mind without first becoming a living sacrifice. You can't get into a place to where you engage in worship in a new way until you surrender your opinion of what worship is. You can't get into a place of experiencing another dimension of God's will and God's presence and God's power in your life until you give up another part of yourself on the altar of 
sacrifice, the process of the renewed mind that gives you now the capacity, the capacity to grow now in the competency of being able to test and discern God's will in any given situation is always preceded by the choice to become a living sacrifice. And the truth is this, is that God's will and our experience of God's will in our life, God's perfect plan, God's design, God's purpose, the answer to whatever test or question or problem that we might be facing, the prayer that we all have is for thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The interesting thing about God's will is that God's will is tied together with his kingdom. They're, they're, they're inseparable. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you know that if you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you are automatically praying another prayer. And if you're praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the prayer that you are automatically praying, whether you know it or not, is this, my kingdom has to go and my will has to be yielded to the will of God. For God's kingdom to come, your kingdom has to go. For God's will to be done, your will has to get out of the way. The cloudy factor in our discernment of God's will is always our will. The limiting factor from experiencing a life of stepping into the desires and delights of God are our own tainted desires and delights. But the thing about it is, is that it's hard for us to fully yield to God's will, to fully yield to God's way, to fully embrace God's commands and statutes if we have a big question mark in regards to his heart. It's hard to step into the will of God if we're unsure about the ways of God. And it's tough for us to experience the commands of God if we don't understand the character of God. And Pastor Jacob did a phenomenal job last week of encouraging us that God's will for us is always better than what we want. God's will is for us to experience his goodness and his grace and his presence and his power in our lives. And if we can begin to trust that what God wills for us is better than what we want, then we begin to really believe at a deep heart level that God has good and perfect promises for us, things for us to step into that really we can't even begin to comprehend because of the level of goodness that they are. God's will for us is an invitation always into a deeper experience of himself. Now, here's the tricky part, and hopefully I provided you a little bit of time here at the beginning to adjust and settle in because now I've got some difficult things to say. God's will is directly tied together to his kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God's will and God's kingdom are inseparable. Now here's the truth, and you know this even if you don't know this, if you've ever endeavored even one day to live surrendered to the kingdom and the will of God. If you even lived one day truly surrendered to the will and the kingdom of God, that I guarantee you, you have experienced opposition 
to God's will and God's kingdom. And this is where the confusing part happens. This is where we struggle. These are the people that end up in my office crying and saying things like, Pastor, I went all in on Sunday. I came down to the front and I prayed the prayer and I responded and I said, God, I'm giving you everything. And I said, praise God. That's good. You should do that. Why are you crying? Are these happy tears or bad tears? Well, they were happy on Sunday, but now it's Wednesday and these are bad tears. Well, what happened between Sunday and Wednesday, beloved little sheep? Well, my car broke down and I stubbed my toe and my mama told me that I'd always been ugly even though she'd always told me I was pretty and it just seems like everything's falling apart as soon as I decided to live for God. Can you tell I've heard that a time or two? Do you want me to tell you why? Now, this is what bad theology will tell you. Well, that's part of God's will. It's for you to suffer. And it's part of God's will. You've surrendered. It's always been God's will for your mama to tell you that you're ugly, even though your whole life she told you you were pretty. It's always been God's will. But now that you've yielded, you've finally given her permission to tell you the truth about yourself. How many of you came out of churches like that? That's just God's will. That's just God's sovereign will. You finally got out of the way. And he can really release the thing that he's been wanting to tell you the whole time, which is you're ugly. How many of you know that God is so good at causing all things to work together for good that, listen, God is so good at causing all things to work together for good that he oftentimes gets credit for the bad. But every good and perfect gift, this comes from James, the brother of our Lord, comes down from the father of lights in whom there is no shadow of change or turning he changes not how many of you know that what you encountered from Sunday to Wednesday wasn't God's will you encountered the opposition to God's will because God's will and God's kingdom are tied together and I don't know if you know this or not but God's kingdom God's kingdom is always offensive and God's kingdom is always intimidating And God's kingdom is always generating spiritual conflict against the powers of darkness. This is why everywhere that Jesus went, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. How many of you believe, especially if you listened to the message last week, that Jesus lived in perfect surrender to the Father's will? And the will that the Father had for him to accomplish was to go into all the world, at least the world at that time, And preach the gospel. The gospel of what? The kingdom. And if you remember a little bit further back into some teaching that we've done here, that the gospel of the kingdom is the royal announcement in the Greek, the euangelion. It's the royal announcement of Jesus being king of the universe. Did you know that demons don't really like Jesus being king of the universe? Did you know that the powers of darkness, sickness, disease, poverty, worry, depression, fear, intimidation, don't like Jesus being king of the universe? And if you make a decision to pick sides, which is what you do whenever you become a living sacrifice, make no mistake about it, a living sacrifice is not a passive thing. Have any of you ever been a living sacrifice? I don't know about you, but that's a kicking and screaming process to become a living sacrifice, 
to crawl up onto the altar and to wait for God's fire to fall. How many of you know that's a violent process to become a living sacrifice? See, the problem with living in God's will is the sacrifice part of it. Because the reality is, is that we want the knowledge of his will, but not the knowledge that comes through the experience of sacrifice. But there's two types of knowledge in the world. There's theoretical knowledge, which is the knowledge you get from like watching YouTube videos on how to fix stuff. And then there's experiential knowledge, which is actually doing it. Everybody wants to be able to test and discern what is the will of God for their life, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But the only way for you to be able to do that is to have the experiential knowledge of becoming a living sacrifice. And reading it on the page is important, but it's the theoretical part. It's true. It's an immutable law that this is the way that the ability to discern the will of God comes, but so many of us as Christians want the ability to discern God's will, and we want to do that with the exclusion of denying self. And you can't get to the place of growing in your discernment of God's will unless you grow in the ability to deny self. Romans 12, 1 precedes 12, 2. I beseech ye therefore, brethren and sistren, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, surrendering yourself as a living sacrifice to God and denying yourself is what allows you to not be conformed to the way of the world. Because if you become conformed to the way of the world, you will always be lost concerning God's will. So we want the ability to discern God's will, but we don't want the experience of being a living sacrifice. And because of that, for many of us, our faith isn't the evidence of things that we can't see, the substance of things home for. It's a shot in the dark. And I would propose to you that for the Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christian, that faith is never blind. It's not by blind faith that you follow God. The book of Hebrews says that now faith is the evidence of the things that you cannot see. And the substance of things that you hope for. Does that sound like blindness to you? No, it's by faith that we see. It's by faith that we walk. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and called them the blind leading the blind. I don't know about you, but whenever you make a decision to follow Jesus, the blinders come off. The scales fall from your eyes and it's the things of the world that want to put blindness on you. It's the way of the world that wants you to be in confusion regarding the will of God. It's religion that wants to muddy the waters of God's will. That's why when the man was born blind and now as a grown man is standing in front of Jesus, ready to be healed, and religion, the spirit of religion comes in because religion is always good about complicating the will of God. To come and present a question to Jesus, who, by the way, Jesus is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God living in the flesh. He's the manifestation of the Father's will. You need not look any farther than Jesus to understand what God is like on any given subject in time. 
So here's this man born blind. This theological question comes. Well, we know that sin and sickness are tied together. So whose fault is it? What's God's will concerning this situation? How would God, this thing, how can we discern this situation? Here's this guy that's born blind, Jesus. So it's gotta be sin because we know sin and sickness are linked. So whose fault is it that this guy's blind? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? I remember that Jesus throws the curveball answer always. The none of the above answer, choice D, none of the above. He says, neither. This man is not this way. This man is this way. So that some translations say the wonderful works of God or the glory of God could be revealed. You could say this man was born this way so that the will of God could be revealed. Now what happens next is extremely important. Because it does take demonic help for you to be confused concerning it. Because Jesus didn't look at the man and say, my son, you've been blind long enough for me to finally see a virtuous soul on the inside of you. And you have been blind so long in the natural that your spiritual eyes have become blind to the temptation and the darkness of this present age. And because this blindness has worked a work of deep character in you, and because now you have been purified through this affliction, I give you the right to be healed. And you also don't see Jesus saying, well, the wonderful works of God that are to be revealed in your life is that you should now remain blind so that you could continue to grow in character. Because you see, my son, this blindness is a gift from your father. A beautiful, beautiful gift of affliction. And if you'll embrace it and if you'll learn to walk with it and if you'll learn to just make peace with it, oh, the glory that you'll see. Even in a church full of faith. Even in a church full of the fire of God. The whispers, the whispers, the doubt. What does Jesus do? This is important that you see this. See, for you to arrive at God's will, your opinions have to be on the altar. And you know what also has to be on the altar? Your experiences. The things you've seen and you haven't seen, the things that you halfway believe and you halfway don't want to believe all of it. To be a living sacrifice means it all has to go on the altar for you to be able to see the one who perfectly demonstrated the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, who is the son of God, Jesus Christ. And by becoming a living sacrifice, you take up the same posture that Jesus did, which is not my will, yours be done. So Jesus looks at the blind man and what does he say? Be healed. How many of you know, will of God accomplished? Simple, simple. Will of God accomplished. Yeah, but what about? Put it on the altar. Yeah, but there was that one time with my mama. Put it on the altar. Yeah, but I'm still struggling. Put it on the altar. Yeah, but I stepped out in faith. Put it on the altar. Yeah, well, you know, God doesn't every time put it on the altar and put your mouth full of doubt and unbelief on the altar too. See, we, we, try to, we, try to, we try to sugarcoat these things. There's Jesus, 
the, the disciples can't get the demon to come out of the boy. And they come to Jesus and they ask him, Lord, why couldn't we do this? And he rebukes them. What does he say? Faithless. Wicked. Generation. How much longer do I have to put up with you? How many of you know that, man, some of us, I tell you what, as soon as Jesus actually stopped becoming just a little devotional sized Thumbelina Jesus, coffee in Jesus, all I need is taco in Jesus, but the Jesus of the Bible that will look at you and say, you're faithless. How many of you know church people can't tell you that, but Jesus can tell you that. And I don't give anybody a commission to say that to anybody else, but you definitely need to open up your ears to hear what the Lord would have to say to you. Jesus rebuked the disciples for what? Not being able to discern his will. He says, bring that boy over here to me. How many of you know that to be able to distinguish and to discern the will of God means that my opinions, my experiences, my level of understanding, my intimidation, my fear, my worry, all get to be gifts on the altar. Say, well, I don't understand. I don't either. Yeah, my understanding's on the altar too. Well, we've prayed and we didn't see it work. I know, I put that on the altar too. You know what else I put on the altar? All the times it has worked. Because you know what? It was never me that did the work anyway. The only thing I'm called to do is to be a living sacrifice, which means that if I live or if I die, if I strike out or if I hit it over the fence, do you know what? The most beautiful thing that I can do is say, Lord, it's all worship to you. I just put it on the altar. You have got to put it on the altar because as soon as it does start working, and it will, you're gonna have to put your pride on the altar. There's always something to put on the altar. For many of us, we've got to put our disappointment up there first. We have to put our fear up there first. We have to put our limited understanding up there first. But to discern God's will, to stay in a place of being sensitive to what the Father wants to release in any given moment, in any given interaction, is just for us not just to put it on the altar, but to live on the altar. Because 12.1 says to become a living sacrifice, which gives the connotation of perpetual, continual, daily, minute by minute, hour by hour. His kingdom come means my kingdom go. His will be done means my will has to yield to his will. His kingdom come, my kingdom go. His will be done, my will yield to his will. Now here's the beautiful thing about the will of God is that the will of God will always move us out of our comfort zone, amen? Need a better amen. amen. The will of God always moves you and I out of our comfort zone, but it also moves us into the arms of the comforter which is better than your comfort zone. In fact, once you get out of your comfort zone through the will of God and experience the comfort that comes from the comforter, you'll lose comfort. You'll lose craving for your comfort zone 
Because what God wills is better than what you want. You want the comfort zone of God fitting in your box. You want the comfort zone of not taking the faith risk. You want the comfort zone of not yielding that one part of my life because I still don't fully trust God. You want that comfort zone. But as soon as you, by God's will, step out of that and experience the comfort that comes through the arms of the comforter, how many of you know you will taste something better than your comfort zone? And you will lose craving for your comfort zone because the arms of the comforter comforter are better than the arms of the lazy boy. But you don't know it until you put the lazy boy on the altar. God's will requires surrender, but it secures your freedom. God's will brings pain to our flesh. Everybody say, ow. But it brings delight to our spirit. God's will requires us to let go, but it postures us to be able to hold on tighter to him. God's will inconveniences the temporary things, but it deepens our experience of the eternal things. God's will violates our preferences but it always activates our divine design. God's will shatters your self-centeredness, but it supplies unlimited opportunities to be generous. Hmm. God's will eradicates status quo, business as usual, but it empowers us to live out the supernatural. God's will won't cater to our ego, but it will always launch you into your divine destiny. God's will doesn't always make sense, but it will cause you to believe in him and trust in him deeper than you ever have. God's will doesn't care if you ever get the credit but it does give you the invitation to be known in heaven. God's will doesn't leave your life undisturbed, but it will transform it. God's will doesn't factor in the excuse of your past, but it will provide you grace to live far above and beyond it. God's will will never offer you safety, ever. It's important you hear me say this. God's will will never offer you safety. But it will give you the capacity to become more dangerous than the enemies of your soul. God's will can't promise you smooth seas. But it will give you authority over wind and waves. God's will won't make you immune to loss or pain. But it will guarantee that ultimately you win. God's will can't save you from the furnace, but it will save you from the fire. See, the problem with living in God's will is always the part of living as a living sacrifice because all of us want the fourth man in the fire experience, right? We just don't wanna have to face the furnace. We want the blessing of God, but we don't wanna live with open hands. Because this 
feel safer than this. We want the transformed mind, but we don't want to have to change our habits and our attitude. We want the resurrection, just not the death. And here's the truth about God's will. It's always good. Because it's always good for you. But it does put you in opposition to the way of the world, which means that God's will doesn't include the furnace, but the enemy of your soul has a will that includes the furnace. (laughs) But God's will includes being the fourth man with you in the fire. Being surrendered to God's will puts you into opposition to the will of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And what you experience from surrendered on Sunday to crisis Wednesday is not always God's will. It's you coming into opposition with the will of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Which is why I can't tell you that if you live surrendered to God's will, the opposition won't come. It will, because there are three entities that are opposed to the will of God in your life. The world and the ways of the world, your own flesh, and the devil. Those three things are in direct opposition to the will of God. God's will in your life doesn't necessarily bring them into your life, but it does cause you now to face off against them. Which is why to follow God, I can't promise you that you won't encounter the furnace. I don't believe that the furnace is a part of God's will. But I believe that the fourth man in the fire is definitely part of God's will. And you don't get to the fourth man in the fire until you get thrown into the furnace. But at the end of the day, as a living sacrifice, if you're on the altar of sacrifice and you're already on fire, then what difference does it make if you go into the fire? Living in the will of God puts us in opposition to the will of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when we understand this, then we understand a little bit more what the will of God made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ said whenever he said, if anyone would come after me. And how many of you really have a deep desire to go after Jesus? Ultimately, to be more and more yielded to the will of God is to live out discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus. Jesus is the one that lived out perfect surrender to the will of God. And if we're apprenticing under Jesus, if we're following Jesus in his manner of life, and that means that we are letting his life manifest into our life, and Jesus was the perfect manifestation of the will of God, and he said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Which means to say that if you're gonna follow Jesus, if we are gonna follow Jesus and be a transformed community of Jesus followers that transform communities everywhere that we go, we have to understand that to follow Jesus means that we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, which means my kingdom has to go. And your kingdom has to go. And your will has to yield to 
God's will. And when we realize that Jesus is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, and that, by, and that by desiring for God's will to be done in our life each and every day, we end up receiving Jesus, who's the desire of the nations. And we become people that crave his kingdom above our convenience, and we become people who will his will into every part of our lives. And we begin to live a life that resonates now with a sound. A sound that is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And his glory, beloved, is always revealed most where our desire and our will is desired least. Say it again. God's glory is always revealed most where our will, our will is desired least. God's will doesn't promise us a life free of obstacles, a life free of problems. God's will doesn't promise us a life that's picture perfect, but it does promise us the ability to live with a mind that's transformed into the mind of the perfect one. Jesus, in fact, was called a man of sorrows, a man of suffering. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he's living so surrendered to God's will that no matter what adversity he'd face, no matter what persecution he faced, because he was living at such a place of yieldedness on that altar of sacrifice that no matter what the world, people living in the flesh, and even the devil himself threw at him, they came in to that fire of sacrifice and were dissolved, they were eradicated and they were recycled as things like love and forgiveness, peace and joy. When we come into a place of yieldedness to the king and his kingdom, when we come into a place of desiring him above all else, his will becomes easily able to be discerned. Why? Because it actually becomes seen in your life. Living as a living sacrifice reveals the will of God, not just to you, but to others around you. It reveals the nature of God. What greater privilege and honor is there to not just be able to discern God's will for yourself, but for your life to be able to be a signpost of God's will for somebody else? your life to be so full of the forgiving and reconciliating power of God that when people are wondering about what God's will is for them in the midst of their guilt, in the midst of their shame, in the midst of their insecurity, for you to be walking full of the power of God to look at them and to say, your faith has saved you. Go and sin no more. For you to be able to walk in such a way to release God's will, to be a touching place for heaven on the earth. What greater privilege is there to not just be able to discern God's will for yourself, but listen to me, for people to discern God's will 
through you for them. Yes, we want the transformed mind, but it will always take the sacrifice. Yes, we want deliverance from the fire, but it will take facing the furnace. Yes, we want the power to be able to walk in the things of the spirit, but it'll always come through us, through our own power, yielding our power to the one that's all powerful. The invitation to discerning God's will is simply this. It's an invitation to surrender. To surrender all. To surrender everything. Your past, your future, your bucket list. Here's here's the sad truth. And this is a sad truth and I'll say it here because we're in a serious moment in the service. The sad truth is this, is that for some of us, This is the reality, and I'll be bold enough to say it. I've said it on a Wednesday, I haven't said it on a Sunday, but I'll say it here. Here's the reality for many of us. The reality for many of us is that for many believers in the body of Christ, not speaking just in our church, in in the world, the return of the Lord, the day of his appearing is gonna be a major bummer for a lot of Christians. Do you know why? Because... Our bucket list wasn't completed. There was still that trip to take. I was two investments away from finally being a millionaire. I only had the last fender to paint on that car I've been restoring for 35 years. And here's the other sad reality. Some of us are excited going to heaven, not because of Jesus, but because grandma's there. How many of you know that if we're going to grow in our ability to live surrendered to the Lord, what we have to grow in is our ability to love Jesus more than everything else? A living sacrifice life is not comfortable. That's why you have to love Jesus more than your comfort. If you love your comfort more than Jesus, going to be tough crawling up on the altar, butt naked and waiting for the fire to fall. That's not a pleasant time unless you're in love with the one whose eyes burn like fire. And you know whatever he's bringing to you, man, it's gonna purge off anything that's hindering me from fully experiencing the delight of his presence. It's gonna burn away anything that's keeping me shackled and powerless and living at the level of mediocrity. It's going to heat up the places in my life that I'm lukewarm. And I can tell you where there's a worse place to be, it's getting spit out of his mouth because you're lukewarm. I would much rather endure the pain of the altar of sacrifice than the pain of being lukewarm. You crawl up on the altar, why? So that the places in your life that are tepid, the spiritual temperature of the places of your life that have grown cold did you know everything on the altar reaches boiling point everything and if you've got a desire and a craving on the inside of you to go to heaven because grandma's there I've got good news for you you've got an invitation to come to the altar today 
And if you've got a desire on the inside of you to get your bucket list accomplished, more than seeing the lover of your soul face to face, you've got an invitation to get up on the altar today. And I don't know about you, but I believe that the Lord is returning for a spotless, pure bride that is desiring her husband. I don't think Jesus is after a hard to get bride. I don't think Jesus is after a bride that says, well, you'll just have to come find me. I don't think Jesus is after a bride that says, my ladies, this is gonna hurt some of you, but listen to me. I'll be ready, just need an hour and a half longer. How many of you know that you're supposed to be making yourself ready? You're supposed to be staying ready. You're supposed to be adorning yourself for your husband. Living a life of sacrifice is always an invitation to living in greater intimacy with the Lord in greater attention to the Lord and in a greater spiritual imagination of what's possible as more and more of your life becomes united with his life that's the invitation to discern his will is ultimately so that you can know him more and so that he could know you and oh to know Jesus my God oh to love Jesus oh to look upon the one that loves your soul oh to receive the desire of the nations man that's the will of God is that you would know him that you'd allow him to know you and by doing so You'll know where he's taking you. You'll know the choices to make. You'll know the ways in which you walk. Here's the truth of it, beloved. So oftentimes in seeking God's will, we are after his hand, pointing somewhere or giving us something when the invitation of knowing his will is always to go deeper into his heart and look more full in his face. And if you see his face and if you know his heart, I'm going to be honest with you, you don't even have to see his hand because you know his will for you, for your family, for your life. The invitation is the altar, but it's not only a place of death, it's also the place of eternal life. And eternal life is is this, knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Should we could, in a place of response, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That old hymn said, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The Spirit showed me just now that there's opportunity to be offended by some of the things that Pastor Zach said at the end there. And that's the enemy. The enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy that wants to take away the message of this. Like, like the idea that if you want to go to heaven because grandma's there, don't, don't get lost in that because 
Zach's grandma is there too, and heaven is sweeter because of that. But that's not, <laughs> the, the point is that that's not the cake. That's the extra stuff. Jesus is the cake. And recognizing that allows us to become empowered by the ability that we have to lay everything on the altar and look full in his wonderful face. So this message doesn't need anything extra that I can add to it, except to say, don't let Satan steal it from you because of some little thing that 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 poked you or is a, a burr under your saddle, so to speak. So I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me right now. And... By the way, Pastor Zach was listening, checked into our church's Facebook feed and and sent a message that he loves Chandler and um, and, and was with us this morning in, in lots of ways. Um, but let me just pray for us right now. And I, I'm going to go to the I'm going to be at the doors on the exits to the building, and because uh, uh, I want to, I want to say hi to some people before you get away. But um, Brent and Pam are going to be here, and uh, if you have something you'd like to put on the altar and ask them to pray in agreement with you, that you're that you can do that, and because of what the power that comes from that. I'd encourage you to do that. You can speak to me on the way out. I'll, I'll stay and pray with you. But um, let me just pray for you right now. Father, we recognize the power of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that that because of all of the 11 chapters before, Paul says, Paul begs us to offer our bodies a living sacrifice. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to offer our bodies a dying sacrifice. Jesus already did that on the cross and affected so much for our benefit. Already at the cross, for all the sins that we commit 2,000 years before we commit them and made a way for us to operate in kingdom faith right now. And Father, I pray as we leave this place that that kingdom power would would manifest itself in our our lives to such an extent that the people around us can't help but be affected. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. And so, Father, I pray for us to operate in that right now. In just little ways, in all the things that we do at work, um, at Walmart, at when we have a hamburger at the boomerang. Father, I pray that Jesus will flow out of us daily and in every way. 
Father, that you'd be glorified in those little things that we say and do every day. Individually, as well as corporately, as the as Jesus' body here in central Oklahoma, as Victory Life Chandler. Because that's what we want to do. We want to bring you glory day in and day out. And the big things and the little things. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.